The information and opinions presented in this ARC Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the ARC Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Tertzakian. Welcome back. Well, I don't know about you, Jackie, but honestly, I'm just uh, fatigued with all the COVID talk, the lockdowns, the American politics. Oh my gosh, it's just uh, taking me down. So I want to talk about something that Canadians are leaders in today. We are leaders in nuclear power. We have the largest nuclear power plant in the world with Bruce Mm -hmm. Power in Ontario. We're the world's second largest uranium producer in Mm -hmm. the world. Uh, Of course, all that coming from Saskatchewan. Yeah, we've got some of the biggest mines in the world. Yeah, and we have our own nuclear reactor designs. Uh, The CANDU is Mm -hmm. is the most well-known, but we also have some other newer generations coming up. Yeah, we've we've been leaders in nuclear technology since the 1950s. In the post-World War II era, when we went from military applications and nuclear technologies to civilian power generation, and that tradition continues. I think the only outstanding question is really, how do you pronounce nuclear? I think it was like nuclear or nuclear. Yeah, there's different ones. That's an American definition. I think George W. Bush was famously chastised for saying nuclear. It's nuclear. I mean, what is it? Well, it's interesting because we have mentioned it on the podcast before, the word, and I've had feedback from people that Mm. I was saying it wrong. So I did quite a bit of research on the topic, and there seems to be two ways of saying it. But what we really need is an expert to, uh, to help us figure out how to say it. So we're very happy today to announce our special guest, Deanne Cameron, who's the Director of Nuclear Energy for the Government of Canada. Welcome, Deanne. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. So can you help us out with the pronunciation? Absolutely. So you are correct. There are two ways of pronouncing the word. And George W. Bush was mocked for for pronouncing one of them, but it was okay. That said, most people, myself included, will say nuclear as opposed to nuclear. So there's sort of like this... uh, inoffensive Canadian accent definition or pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, welcome. Welcome to talk with us about nuclear energy. And uh, well, maybe for the benefit of our audience and by way of introduction, can you tell us a little bit about your department and the federal government and your oversight? I have the incredible privilege of overseeing the team that leads and coordinates nuclear energy policy for Canada in very close collaboration with a lot of different partners. Because in the Canadian context, The federal government doesn't run a state-owned enterprise in nuclear. We share jurisdictional authorities with the provinces and territories, and we see a really important role for the private sector. So to do anything meaningful in the space of nuclear energy means the federal government is working in collaboration with provinces and territories, with industry, with universities, with our national laboratories. And so when I say leading and and coordinating. There's a lot of convening of Team Canada. And that's kind of our role in the overall nuclear ecosystem in Canada. Okay, well, we've got lots to talk about considering that. The two areas we want to talk about today is, first of all, the state of nuclear energy at large in Canada and some of the new uh, types of nuclear power that are coming out. And then we want to talk about the next steps in terms of the government's activities. You have released your small modular reactor roadmap. And recently, you also released a small modular reactor action plan, which had commitments from partners across Canada, as you say, from all sorts of different areas, to deliver on deploying 
new small nuclear reactors in Canada over the next decade. So we want to hear about that. This is a real international game, and there's a lot going on around the world. So maybe we can just sort of put Canada in the context of the world. There's a lot of countries that are actually developing pretty aggressively nuclear energy. Can you tell us a little bit about which countries are sort of breaking out as leaders in this space now? For sure. So I think the first thing to just put it in that global context would be to note that nuclear energy currently provides approximately 10% of the electricity around the world. So that's a pretty significant contribution. And that comes from roughly 440, 450 reactors that are operating in 32 countries plus Taiwan around the world. Today, and historically, since the birth of civil nuclear energy technology, That has been mainly in OECD countries, so mainly in Western countries. In fact, today, 85% of those reactors are in OECD countries. But we're seeing a real push in other parts of the world to develop this non-emitting technology, nuclear technologies, in particular to replace coal. So you see China, for example, making a big push to build out civil nuclear power plants to do what we were able to do, for example, in Ontario, to really get rid of coal and replace it with a non-emitting technology. And while we're not building in Canada or in the United States, or for that matter, Korea or Japan, no one is building new large-scale reactors today. There are roughly 50 new large-scale reactors under construction around the world in 19 different countries, and another 100 are planned. So the legacy technologies, that core technology that we've been operating in Canada for the last several decades, it's still very relevant all over the world, especially as the world seeks to grapple with the challenge mm-hmm. of getting off of coal. Yeah, you don't hear about it. I mean, that's a really significant growth. I mean, on 450 existing reactors, another 150 effectively is like a 25% or more growth of the space. I mean, so, you know, in this part of the world, of course, there's a lot of negative stigma around nuclear energy fresh in our minds, it seems, is, uh, you know, the Fukushima disaster. Before that, there was Chernobyl. And before that, Three Mile Island. Are those still objections? And how is the industry and your department as a, as representative of that industry handling those sorts of objections on safety? A couple of things. Yes, the public does tend to have questions and concerns. But those questions and concerns And the level of concern varies significantly with your level of familiarity with nuclear. If it's something that's very foreign to you, you're more likely to have those questions and concerns about the safety records because of the incidents and also because of questions about the long-term management of waste. And people have questions about costs. But the more you know about it and the more direct experience, this is quite interesting, the more direct experience you have with civil nuclear technologies. So the closer you live to a nuclear power plant in Canada, the more likely you are to be comfortable and to be open to it and to be in favor of nuclear. So it really is one of these areas where, yes, it's a high-tech sector, and that can be intimidating, but we do have very good technical solutions to these different challenges that you've named, and we have an excellent, excellent record for safety in Canada, and we have world-class standards for managing the waste. So there is a bit of a, a challenge in communicating that science and communicating that technical information and helping people be comfortable with it, but we have a very strong technical track record in Canada. All right, so the large reactors is, is generally what people think about when they think about safety, but there are a new generation of small modular reactors that are coming and they're being developed in Canada as well as in other places of the world. 
And we did actually have a podcast about a year ago with the developer from New Brunswick that was uh, also called ARC. Now, could you remind our audience of the latest generation of nuclear technology that's being developed in Canada and also how it may differ from the traditional large nuclear plants in terms of some of those safety risks that we think of with the large facilities? That's a really exciting area of innovation right now because we do have five, six, seven decades of experience with the existing technologies. And we've learned collectively as a global nuclear community of practice, we've learned a lot from those six, seven decades of experience. And we've learned a lot from the different incidences that you named. And that has caused a rethink and kind of a push for innovation to see if we can't come up with some breakthrough technologies to introduce what engineers and physicists are calling inherent safety or walk-away safety or passive safety. And we can sort of start to unpack what some of those ideas are. But the main thing to know is that there's a whole new wave of technologies coming. It's like what the cell phone is to the landline. These new technologies are just dramatically new and improved and more versatile compared to the legacy technology. And new versatility, keying in on that word, allows us to make small modular reactors. So can you give us a sense of the size? I mean, when I think of large reactors such as many that have been built to date, like a thousand megawatts, a gigawatt and above, right? What size are the ones that we're talking about in terms of a percentage of the big ones? So the official definition by the International Atomic Energy Agency is any reactor that is 300 megawatts electric or smaller. So less than a third the size of the CANDU reactors that we operate in Ontario and New Brunswick today. But even within that category, there's a big range. It gets a little bit silly because you start talking about large, small modular reactors and then very small modular reactors. But at the big end of the scale, at that size of about 300 megawatts electric, those reactors, the main value proposition there is still to generate electricity on a grid, non-emitting electricity on a grid. And that is something that, for example, the province of Saskatchewan in Canada is very interested in because they still have coal power that they need to retire by 2030. But they don't have a grid where it would be necessary to have that gigawatt-scale can-do reactor, like that 1,000 megawatts electric. They don't need that much electricity. But that 300 megawatt size is very convenient for them. It turns out it's, it's very convenient for replacing coal power plants. But then you have a whole range of even smaller technologies all the way down to, let's say, about 5 megawatts electric. And those are really interesting because those are what we call the micro-reactors. And they are meant to be factory-produced, kind of like how we factory-produce Jeeps and pickup trucks and cars. They come off a production line, and then they get shipped and delivered to the site. They can be used effectively, kind of like you would think of a battery. You sort of ship it to the site. You draw the power out of it as you need it. When you're done, you take it away for decommissioning. Yeah, I mean, I've even heard, you know, you sort of roll these things, you roll these things on a, on a uh, railway cart yeah. or, or whatever into or a, a barge or, or, a barge but it, or but whatever. But the idea is it can be delivered. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It can be delivered. For a sense of context, I mean, a five megawatt unit is about the same as a mid-sized wind turbine, isn't it? Yes. And in fact, it's something that we're very familiar with in Canada. There is a small reactor around that size operating on the McMaster campus, for example, right in the middle of Hamilton. And so it's something that is very known. It's a small unit, but it's something that we can really wrap our heads around. And 
when you start thinking about these smaller sizes, it opens up new applications and new possibilities, which is where that versatility comes in that you were talking about, Peter. So now we have nuclear technologies that are going to become available that can be an option for Saskatchewan, where the the full-scale can-do was too big, or that can be an option, and this for me is the most exciting part, for deep decarbonization of heavy industry. There are parts of the Canadian economy that are very hard to abate, and those are the parts of the economy like heavy industry, like mining and resource extraction, oil sands, even in any industry that needs high temperature heat for its industrial processes. Because as we all know, it's very inefficient to turn electricity back into heat. It's very costly, which is why many of those industries presently rely on what they call cogeneration. And cogeneration combined heat and power, where they're getting heat and power at the same time from burning natural gas, for example. But natural gas is still an emitting source of energy. And so SMRs, these very small units, are the first really viable non-emitting alternative to natural gas cogen for heavy industries that need heat for their industrial processes. Yeah, and it is really exciting. I think these could be quite disruptive because not only, as you say, do they have the power, but they can offer heat. And they can also enable you to meet your net zero target if you're a company that has set your goals on that. You can put, that's kind of in your control now. You could switch to having one of these small units, get off the grid, and this is where it could be quite disruptive, and then become net zero. Now, this all seems good, but what is the sentiment of the environmental groups at large? Are they recognizing the need for these types of technologies? I think some environmental groups are more aligned with, we should just have everything renewable. Is there recognition that we need some base load 24-7 type power that zero emissions? So I can't speak for any specific environmental groups, but what I can tell you is there's a diversity of views, even within the environmental and NGO sector. And what we're seeing is increasingly a healthy debate on this issue about what are the real alternatives for uh, deep decarbonization and some of the harder to abate parts of the economy. And we have heard from an increasing number of groups, some of whom have joined us in our SMR action plan, who are recognizing, as we do, that small modular reactors are a non-emitting source of electricity. And as a nation, we're trying to get to net zero by 2050. So we have to be looking at every non-emitting source that's out there. There's no silver bullet. There's no single technology that solves all of our problems, and it's going to take all of the options available to us. And that's going to include SMRs, which doesn't mean that SMRs compete with wind and solar, for example. They can be very complementary. It also doesn't mean that an SMR is going to be the right solution in every context, but there will be many contexts where it's a very good option, and you'll see people choosing, choosing to go that way. Can you talk about the costs coming down? Because obviously, nuclear energy has also been historically considered to be sort of really high capital costs up front. I imagine that with the smaller units, those should be coming down, right? Yeah, so that is definitely one of the challenges with large-scale nuclear is the fact that the capital costs up front are significant. Now, the operating costs are very low, and so over the life cycle of the nuclear power plant, the cost of electricity is actually very competitive. But nevertheless, those upfront capital costs can be challenging. So what industry is trying to do with small modular reactors is make these things bite-sized almost. 
So by making them smaller and by making them modular, by seeking to do factory manufacturing and modular construction, manage the project costs and make every piece more manageable. And that's how project costs are expected to come down. And you can imagine a scenario where you've got a mine site and you need, let's say, 20 megawatts electric power for your mine site and you're off the grid. Well, if you have five megawatt reactors, you can phase them in sort of one at a time and you can manage your project costs that way, your cash flow that way. And you could deploy four or five or six and over time eventually phase out your existing diesel infrastructure, including your backup diesel infrastructure if you build in your own redundancy with multiple SMRs. And part of the thinking around SMRs is how do we make the construction but also the deployment more modular and increase versatility and flexibility into the project planning cycle as well. Right, and get those costs more predictable because mega projects have a tendency to cost more than you think. All right, well, let's talk about what's going on in Canada. Your department has championed roadmaps and action plans, including 50 recommendations in the roadmap and most recently 450 actions with 100 partners to deliver on small modular nuclear reactors in Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about those goals and especially the potential timeline for seeing these types of units operating in Canada? Absolutely. So I'll just start with a bit of a recap of our first project, which was the SMR roadmap. And that was the analytical piece that was released in 2018. Now, at that moment in time, in the federal government, we saw this wave of innovation that was being worked on, and we had a lot of questions, too. We had questions about, are the technologies real? How far away are them? How long is it going to take for these things to become viable? How much are they going to cost? We wanted to know about what type of waste are they going to produce? Are we ready to regulate them? Do we have the right uh, legislation and regulations in place? And what are the views of Canadians? So we had all these big questions about this wave of innovation that we saw coming down. And that was the driver, the motivation for convening this SMR roadmap project in 2018, where we brought together provinces and territories and industry partners and others from across Canada who were working or interested in SMRs. And we pulled together some expert working groups, did some analysis. We were very conservative in our assumptions in that analysis because we didn't want to be looking at this as a federal government with rose-colored glasses. We wanted to know realistically, are these things going to happen or is this, you know, is, is it unlikely? Is this just blue sky thinking? And what we found through the almost 10-month-long project um, and what we learned and what we documented in the report was that, yes, they are real. Now, at that time, there were about 150 designs in the works, and some of those are not ever going to see the light of day. But there were enough of those technologies that were based on really good science and really good engineering that we could say, yes, some of these are going to be successful. And what we found through the modeling of the costs is that they are expected to be able to compete on levelized cost of electricity in some but not all markets. So again, you know, it's not a panacea, but there are parts of the economy where this could be a really good alternative. And then we learned more about the waste. We know what the challenges there are going to be, and we know that we're going to be able to deal with the waste. We know how to do that. And we've fine-tuned our regulatory system so that we're ready to oversee that. So that was our project in 2018. That was when we kind of did our homework from the perspective of answering our big questions. Sometimes when you do a project like that and you write the report, you put the report on the shelf, 
And then the conversation dies down and it loses some momentum and people stop talking about it. And when that happens, you know that it was your project that kind of created the buzz. But other times, and this is what happened with the roadmap, we published the report. And then in 2019, we noticed actually there was more momentum and more people working on this. And we saw that at the level of premiers, four premiers from Saskatchewan, Ontario, New Brunswick, and Alberta signed an agreement to cooperate on the development of these technologies. And more investment was crowding in, and more companies were getting involved. And that's when we knew that this was really happening. So in 2020, we reconvened a project in 2020 that we've called the SMR Action Plan that turns the roadmap into a plan for action and for concrete concrete deliverables. And we extended the invitation. And it was really, really exciting to see how many partners stepped forward. Um, you mentioned over 100 partners. So that includes provinces and territories. It includes municipalities. It includes civil society, including some environmental NGOs, indigenous partners, and then, of course, industry and our national labs and our regulator. It also includes heavy industry sectors like mining and oil sands partners who are working on this with us. And for your listeners, um, everybody can see the fruits of that project. It's on smraction.plan.ca, and it's a report out to Canadians. It's meant to be sort of a snapshot of where we are as a nation in 2020 and who's working on it, and it sets out our voluntary commitments. Each partner has set out their voluntary commitments for the actions that they are taking, and collectively it comes together and creates this momentum and this, this overall action plan for the nation. Let's key in on that word action plan and action and deliverables and also marry it to parts of the economy. When do you think we're going to start to see sort of the significant deployment of SMRs? I mean, you mentioned there's already one in Hamilton. There's a small reactor it's on the university campus. So that's, that's a research so reactor. So that's a research reactor. But like, but like, like an actual... Uh, but an next actual generation, commercial deployment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when do we expect that and where? Now, just as there's a variety of sizes, there's a variety of technologies that are being pursued. And what we're seeing in Canada is the emergence of three separate applications with three separate types of technologies of interest. And so I'll talk about these three streams. Stream one, I think we're going to see near-term grid-scale SMRs deployed this stream is being driven by Ontario Power Generation and Saskatchewan Power. And those two utilities are looking at technologies that could be generating electricity on the grid by 2028 in Ontario and very shortly thereafter in Saskatchewan. So not too far away. And in order to meet that timeline, they're already working on reviewing the technologies. They started with a short list of maybe 10 technologies that they were interested in. And they took a close look, and now they've already announced the top three. And they're working on the next round of due diligence, and they're aiming to announce the top technology that they intend to build, first in Ontario, then in Saskatchewan, within the next year or so. So that's moving pretty quickly. On stream two, we have what we're calling sort of next generation. This is a really innovative play being driven by New Brunswick Power. And what they're interested in is not necessarily near-term, but really groundbreaking technologies that in particular have the potential to recycle spent fuel. So recycle waste streams from the can-do reactors. Now that's a little bit more innovative and those require a little bit more work and those are a little further out in time. So maybe in the 2030s. 
And then we have a third stream of development, which is these micro-reactors, the very small units around 5 megawatts electric. And those are being developed both by OPG and Bruce Power for mining applications and potentially for oil sands. And we could see the first demonstration of those built at Chalk River Laboratories in Ontario. That's our national nuclear laboratory site. We could see that by 2026. So you really see these three different timelines for these three different categories of reactors that are being pursued for different applications. Yeah, that's really exciting, and I think it's faster than most people Mm -hmm. would think. I think most people think these are a lot further away. I mean, and these small modular reactors, like you say, could have so many different applications in Canada. So what about Alberta? I know we signed the Memorandum of Understanding. Do you think you're going to see SMRs be deployed in oil sands? I did notice, actually, in your action list, Suncor had a goal to research it. Yeah. Well, Alberta is one of the provinces that has put its hand up and, at the level of the Premier, signed this MOU with other provinces to really look at the development of these technologies. I think Alberta's recognized the potential, but they're still pretty much in the early stages of evaluating, is it the best option for them or not? So there's no plan right now for deployment in Alberta. But they have come to the table both as a government, as utilities, and also as uh, heavy industry companies to take a really close look. And so my personal view is that there's no plans right now and they're taking a close look. But if they like what they see, it could end up moving quickly once they've done their initial analysis. Yeah, I mean, it seems like such a a logical thing to pursue given the large industrial nature of these operations. But maybe we'll leave it at that and see how it plays out. Another really compelling, it seems, application is in our remote communities. I mean, Canada is such a vast land. We've got a lot of northern communities that you have to fly diesel in or get barged in or whatever, so that creates emissions, and then you burn the diesel, and that creates emissions. I mean, having these sort of small modular reactors or micro-reactors just seems like such a great application. So there is definitely a need for alternatives to diesel for remote communities in Canada. We have over 200 communities in Canada that are not connected to a centralized grid and that currently rely on nearly 100% diesel. It's costly. It's emitting. But here I would pause and I would say, yes, it's emitting. These communities are fairly small, so they're not making a huge contribution to climate change. They are feeling disproportionately the effects of climate change. But from an emitting perspective, you know, there's this emissions and contributions to climate change. But possibly more importantly for these communities is the local air pollution from diesel in their communities. There's air pollution, there's particulates, and there's also noise pollution. Diesel backup generators are quite noisy. So there is a real demand. There's a real need for alternatives. And communities need to take a look at all of their options. And that's going to include alternatives like wind and solar. But increasingly, we're hearing some communities saying, and we want to also consider SMRs among our options. Now, not every community is going to choose an SMR, but many are interested. And the timeline for deployment here, though, I want to be clear, is going to be driven by the communities themselves. It is going to be a community saying, here are my options. This is what I'm interested in. This is what works for my physical environment and for my cultural and the values of my community. And probably we're going to need to see those micro-reactors, what we're hearing from a lot of communities. They want to see it working somewhere else first. So the most logical place to build the first one is our national laboratories. 
And then people can come visit it. They can see it. It's got a track record. You know, they can ask their questions. So I'm not expecting SMRs necessarily to be built in remote locations in the very near future. But once they establish a bit of a track record, it becomes a real option. Mm -hmm. And is the laboratory one, that Chalk River demonstration, is that the one that would be in a national laboratory? Yeah. So Chalk River Laboratories is working on um, evaluating. They have a few different applications from different micro SMR technology companies, all of whom are interested in being the one to demonstrate at Chalk River. And Chalk River is evaluating those, and there's a couple of front runners there. Global First Power is the first one in Canada to apply for a license to prepare site for construction. So that could lead to a, a demonstration that could be concluded as early as 2026. And there are a couple others that have applied for that as well. And Chalk River Laboratories has, they have a lot of land and they've got a lot of physicists. And so they could conceivably do multiple demonstration reactors and give a little bit of options to those communities. Okay, well, hey, this is really exciting. I encourage everyone to go check out the action plan. And I will put links to both the roadmap and the action plan in the show notes of of this show. It's really exciting to see real money going towards this. And, you know, companies like Saskatchewan Power and Ontario Power Generators and New Brunswick funding these projects. And uh, this is an exciting area where Canada can not only meet our own net zero emissions targets by deploying these technologies, but hopefully export these technologies and create a bigger industry here in Canada. There is going to be a global market for this that is estimated to exceed 150 to $300 billion per year by 2040. And others are moving fast to become the suppliers to that market. And if we move fast in Canada also, we are a world-class nuclear nation. Most people don't know this, but we are the second country in the world to have achieved nuclear power. And we did that at Chalk River Laboratories. And we are the first country in the world to have declared that we will use nuclear power only for peaceful purposes. Almost a quarter of the Nobel Prizes held in Canada are related to nuclear science. We are part of a very small group of about, depending on how you count, let's say five to eight countries that have the type of expertise that we have here. It's a small club. We're really good at this in Canada. And so we can lead the world in this new innovative technology. And you're absolutely right, Jackie. It's not just to help us solve our problems at home. We can become a supplier and export to the world. Yeah, well, thanks, Deanne. That's, uh, thanks for sharing a good news story and a positive story. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.